podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Wednesday, the 10th of May. Another wet day here. Thumbs up for rain. Anyway, I must start with an apology. So I said, I think nearly the last thing I said on Monday was the games to be played Monday Fulham, Leicester, Brighton, Everton, Forest, Southampton would be tense, tight games without many goals. And instead, we got eight goals in one, six in another, and seven in the third, which is a quite remarkable thing, really. 
Fulham five, Leicester three, a game that was absolute carnage from start to finish. And a game that potentially swung on Leicester missing a penalty when Jamie Vardy missed. Because had he scored that penalty, he would have made it 4-2. Potentially, Fulham don't go and score their fifth. And maybe Leicester get back into it. But I'd like to know what sort of witchcraft has Willian subjected himself to to have been reborn. Is this Willian? Is this really the guy that was unable to move when he was at Arsenal? Couldn't do anything right when he was at Corinthians? Is this his son playing for Fulham? Because whoever this is, this is an outstanding player. And he was brilliant in this game. And Fulham were very good value for their win, but Leicester defensively a train wreck and the goalkeeper. Uh, I mean, Danny Ward is bad. This guy's just as bad. They, they're If they go down, it will be based on the fact that they let Kasper Schmeichel leave and didn't replace him with a real goalkeeper. They had January to sort it out as well, and they didn't. Um, Brighton won Everton 5. I think I said Brighton would spank them. Brighton got spanked. This was about as bad a tactical plan as I've ever seen from anybody. De Zerbi got his pants pulled down and then refused to pull them back up and, in fact, proceeded to strip off the rest of his clothes. And Sean Dyche just stood there laughing. Sean Dyche absolutely schooled him. Now, whatever Brighton do this summer, players come, players go, whatever, they need a new goalkeeper because Jason Steele is awful. He should have saved the second. He should have saved the third. Don't really know what he was doing beyond that. Absolutely awful. Brighton was shocking. Genuinely to a man shocking. It started in 39 seconds. Lewis Dunk, who's had a really good season. Really, really good season. Like team of the year consideration worthy. And and he just gets spun like that. And then saunters back. If you wonder why Lewis Dunk doesn't get called up to the England side, it's probably his distinct lack of pace. That was shocking. Absolutely shocking. Um, Boris did beat Southampton. So I at least predicted two of the wins right. Uh, badly wrong in the Brighton-Everton one. Um this was a really good game. This was lots of fun. Gibbs White was brilliant. Danilo was brilliant. Brandon Johnson was a menace. Taylor Wanee got two goals. Southampton fought and fought and fought and, you know, almost got themselves back in it. it this was a really good game and a very enjoyable game. And it's changed things at the bottom of the table. Southampton, I'm sorry to say you are now gone. You would need to win all three of your remaining games and have Leicester, Leeds and Everton all lose the last three games, which, I mean, they could lose all three games. I think it's unlikely. If Everton take one point, that's goodbye, Southampton. So Saints are gone and can now at least look to start planning for the summer. Leeds... 
Second from bottom, 30 points. Leicester, third from bottom, 30 points. Leicester have a significantly better goal difference. Then it's Everton on 32 points, and then Forrest on 33 points. Forrest did themselves a massive, massive favour with that win. Leeds have three games left. Newcastle at home early on Saturday. West Ham away. And then Spurs at home. And it feels like they'll need five points to stay up. That's what it feels like. It feels like they're going to need to get to 35. Leicester have Liverpool at home on Monday night. Then away to Newcastle. And then West Ham at home. And again, it feels like they might get away with four points because of their superior goal difference. They might get away with four. Everton, Man City on Sunday, then away to Wolves, and then Bournemouth at home on the final day. And it feels to me like they need to get three more points. And then Forrest, Chelsea away, Arsenal home, Palace away. They, I think, have the hardest running. Now, I'm probably giving Chelsea too much credit. But it feels like that's a much tougher game now than it would have been. I don't expect them to get anything from Arsenal. But maybe they can go to Palace and win. But I feel like they might need to get to 36 because of their goal difference. Lots to play for. Any two of the four could go down. It would be no surprise if any of them lost all three of the remaining games. It would be no surprise if all of them lost all three of the remaining games. Everton probably have the most favourable run-in with Wolves and Bournemouth. So you'd probably at the moment make them the favourites to stay up, which you would not have said before the weekend. Because I think had they lost to Brighton, I think that was probably curtains for them. They'd be four points behind Forrest. Forrest would probably be close to safe if Everton hadn't won. They'd probably be one point from safety if Everton hadn't won. But maybe that's still going to be the case. Maybe they'll still stay up. Because it's very hard to trust Leicester. It's very hard to trust Leeds United. But anyway, we'll move on. Gareth Crooks' team of the week. He picked Alison Becker in goal. And if we just go to the numbers on Liverpool's most recent game, which was at home to Brighton, uh, they had one shot on target. They had one shot on target. He did get to 100 clean sheets, and that's an incredible achievement. He's a phenomenal goalkeeper. He did nothing in that game. He had one shot to deal with, and it didn't trouble him. That's a laughable pick. In defense, he picked Craig Dawson. And he said, and I quote, Dawson, 
who has been Wolves' best player of the season for me. Best player of the season. He joined in January and he's been average at best. He was not fantastic at the weekend by any stretch. Not even a little bit. So I'm not really sure where he's come with that. Bizarre pick. He's picked Thiago Silva. Again, I have no idea how he's picked Thiago Silva. The only notable thing Thiago Silva did in that game was get away with a blatant penalty. He fouled Dominic Solanke in the penalty area. It was clear as day it was a penalty. How the VAR didn't give it, I don't know. I don't know how he's been picked in a team of the week. And then Virgil van Dijk, who was okay, but he didn't have a whole lot to do. So, no. None of those defenders belong in a team of the week. In midfield, he picked Odegaard. I don't have any problem there. Um, He picked Jorginho. He had a pretty good game against Newcastle. He picked Decore, no problem at all there. He picked Gundogan, no problem there. And he picked Gibbs White, and again, no problem there at all. Uh, He's picked Harry Kane. Now, Harry Kane scored, but didn't play all that well for Spurs the weekend. And he picked Mo Salah, who scored, but again, didn't play at his best level. But he's just picked them because they scored. If Liverpool stand any chance of bringing Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice to Anfield, and I think they need both to compete with Man City, like Liverpool are not interested in Declan Rice and are not going to buy Jude Bellingham. This guy is an absolute imbecile. He also said, where did he say this? Oh, yeah, he said, Julian Lopetegui, how long can Wolves keep him? He's a first-class manager, and I think a number of clubs would benefit from his services Spurs and Chelsea are just two. He's not suited to either of them. The guy knows absolutely nothing about football. He is an imbecile. Antonio Conte, Brendan Rodgers and Graham Potter are... uh, Sorry, Graham Potter and Patrick Vieira are prominent football managers who've lost their jobs in recent weeks. What is true about every one of them is that they were all appointed as managers of football clubs because of their reputations and yet are currently out of work. Roy Hodgson, meanwhile, has been appointed by his former employee employer, Crystal Palace, having left in 2011, and Sam Allardyce has been asked to come out of retirement by Leeds. Uh, Sam Allardyce wasn't in retirement, according to Sam Allardyce. I've always been fascinated by executives of football clubs who make these decisions. In their everyday life, they often run successful companies with chief executives who have formidable track records and would never run the business had they run a football club. What? What is he talking about? The decision makers who are appointing managers are generally people that are full-time employees of the club. They don't run businesses. The owners might run businesses. But it's not the owners who often pick these managers. Baffling baffling what an idiot um moving on champions league last night real madrid won man city won really really high level game 
Really high level game. Uh, Vinicius put Real one up on 36 minutes with an outstanding goal. Kevin De Bruyne equalized on 67 minutes with an outstanding goal. Real succeeded in keeping Haaland quiet for the most part. They kept De Bruyne Bruyne quiet for the most part, but all he needs is a second. It's a sign of a truly great player. I thought Real played really well, but I thought City played really well as well. It sets the second leg up really nicely. Because there's no away goals, it's like starting fresh. Now, City at home, obviously that's a big advantage. And City did beat Real last season in the Champions League at the Etihad. So I think they will go into the game feeling very comfortable and very confident that they can progress. And they should. They should feel comfortable. They should feel confident because they're an excellent team playing excellent football. Now, that game last season was absolutely mental, if you remember. Uh, City won at 4-3. But they could have blown Real away they were two up within 11 minutes and looked like it could be five or six. Benzema pulled one back. Then Foden put them um, three, two ahead. Then Vinicius, sorry, put them three, one ahead. Vinicius made it three, two. Bernardo made it four, two. And then a Benzema penalty made it four, three on 82 minutes. Could the second leg be a repeat? Could it be a manic goal fest? It's very possible. But I think Real will come with a different plan. I think they'll come to counterattack and look to use Vinicius on the break. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Valverde play on the right of the front three, as he did in the final and some of the semi- some of the games last season. So go Valverde, Benzema, Vinicius. Have Valverde took into midfield to provide extra extra man and extra legs. And maybe maybe we see Chiumeni come into midfield in his place and they go Cruz, Chiumeni and Modric and it becomes a flat four out of possession with Modric kind of slipping to the left, Valverde right and Chiumeni and Cruz in the middle. I wouldn't be at all surprised if that's what Real go with. Um, I thought Rudiger to his credit, I'm not a big fan, but he did well last night against... Uh, against Haaland, I think the physicality of him and the aggression caused Haaland so much some trouble. Doc Kamavinga had a really good game at left back. And I, I think people writing off Real are foolish until they're dead, until they're gone. Don't write them off. Like I said the other day, Golden State, they're 3-1 down to the Lakers. I'm still not backing the Lakers to beat them until they've beaten them. Simple as that. When you've got that level of championship equity within your team. The Lakers have won title. I know LeBron is four. The Lakers have won. The coach has won. The best player has won. But, you know, the the the, the Warriors, the Warriors have, you know, four. Steph has four. Clay has four. Draymond has four. Steve Kerr has nine rings. That is championship equity. That is knowing how to win. Same thing goes for Real Madrid. Carlo has four Champions Leagues. He has players in that squad with five. 
five Champions Leagues. That is outrageous. And they know how to win. They just routinely find ways to win. And Real know that if they get past City, they likely win the competition because with no disrespect meant to the Italian clubs, neither Milan club are on the level of the two we saw last night. The semi-final second leg at the Etihad could be viewed as the final because whoever wins it will be maybe the strongest ever favourites going into a Champions League final. We do have that second semi-final tonight, the first leg of Milan versus Inter. Uh, Milan are the home team for tonight's game. Both games, obviously, are going to be played in the San Siro, but Milan are the designated home team for tonight. Um, Going into this game, I do favour Inter. I don't know why. I think it might be the Barella factor. But I could see this one going either way. In terms of league form, Inter are definitely in better form. They've won four on the bounce and established themselves in the top four. They've moved five points clear of Roma, having been behind them for multiple weeks. Milan, they're unbeaten in five domestically, but only two wins. And as things stand, they would be set to miss out on the Champions League for next year unless they win the competition this year. They've both overcome the odds, I think, a bit this year to get to where they are. I don't think anybody would have predicted that these two sides would end up in the final. If we go back to the group stage and take a look, Inter were in Group C. They finished second to Bayern. Sorry, yeah, to Bayern. Uh, Eight points behind. Three wins, a draw, and two defeats. Lost both games to Bayern. That's fair enough. Bayern beat pretty much everybody. Um, Drew with Barcelona, but did beat Barcelona and obviously beat Victoria, uh, Victoria Plisson in both games. Milan finished second in Group E behind Chelsea. Lost both games to Chelsea. Drew with Salzburg. Beat them in the other game and beat uh, Dinamo Zagreb both times. So you're not really looking at great performance in that group stage level from either club. But then in the knockout phases, they've just gone from strength to strength. Inter knocked out Porto. Then they knocked out Benfica. Milan knocked out Spurs and then knocked out Napoli. A Napoli team who've run away with Serie A. Now, I have to say, I as much as I think this is great to have the Milan derby, I think it's, it, it is fantastic. And as great as it would be to see potentially Real Madrid AC Milan in the final because that's proper footballing heritage. That's Champions League royal. That's European Cup royalty. That's that's proper old school royalty. None of this new fancy stuff. That's two clubs with incredible legacies in Europe. Now Inter Inter have as well to their credit three European cups. Um, but Milan are 
Milan and Milan, like seven. Real of 14. No one else is more than six. But I would have loved to have seen Napoli. I'd have loved to see Napoli get to the final. So I think they could have caused City and Real problems with Kivicha and Osman in, in attack. I think they would have caused them problems. But I'm going to pick Inter to get through. It is, like I said, I think it is largely the Barella factor. I think he's the best player. And I think you could make a strong argument that Inter have the three best players. Barella, Laturo, and Bastoni, I think are the three best players between the two sides. Milan, man for man, probably have a bit more talent overall. No, to be fair, Rafael Leao is the second best player. He is. Barella, Leao, then Laturo, then Bastoni. Man for man, Milan are probably better overall. I think Inter are better coached. And I I think Onana being in the team now rather than Handanovic evens out the goalkeeper situation because Manon was much better than what's left of Handanovic. But Onana is very, very good. And he's playing with a bit of confidence as well. Overall, I am looking forward to this. I, I think it's it should be fun to have these games played at that incredible stadium, which I know it's run down. I know it's big and drafty and whatever. It is one of the iconic stadiums in world football. It's just a, a shame that the golden age of Syria came to an end and people stopped going in the same kind of numbers. And now it's too big for most games and not worth maintaining. So, you know, they will be moving on from it. But that the, the site of the San Siro is just one of the iconic things that we've had over the last 50 years in football. Um, right. I'm actually going to take my break here. When we come back, I'm going to take a look at the Burnley and Sheffield United squads and see what they might need uh, in this upcoming summer transfer window now that they are both back in the Premier League. And um, Alex asked me to do this last week, so I said I would, and I've done a little bit of research into it, had a bit of a look at the squads and figured out what I think they need. But again... Uh, they might they might have different views. We'll also then do the gossip and we'll be done for the day. So I'll see you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So um, let's look first at Burnley. Burnley topped the championship table, 101 points. 29 goal, 29 games won, 14 draws, only three defeats. That's that's incredibly, incredibly good for a championship season. 87 goals scored, the most in the division. 35 goals conceded, the least in the division. They were the best team by a considerable margin, which is very impressive when you consider that at the start of the season, things looked a little bit shaky. They won their first game away to Huddersfield and then didn't win any of their next four. Then they won back-to-back games, and then they won only one of their next four. 
But in mid-October, everything seemed to click for them. And they went and they swept the league away. So Vincent Company's first year in charge, massive, massive turnover of players. They sold Nick Pope, sold Max Cornet, sold Dwight McNeil, and sold Nathan Collins. A lot of other players left the club over the course of the year. Phil Bardsley, Ben Mee, Aaron Lennon, Eric Peters, James Tarkovsky, Wayne Hennessy. A lot of experience going out the door there. And then in January, Kevin Long left, Ashley Westwood left, more experience. They brought in a lot of players, an awful lot of players. Uh, Scott Twine, Luke McNally, CJ Egan Riley. Uh, the, those two both ended up going on loan. Egan Riley went on loan to Hibernian. McNally went on loan to Coventry and has been tremendous for them. Uh, Samuel Bastian, Josh Cullen, Arijanet Murich, Vitinho, Manuel Benson, Darko Cherlinov, Anna Saruri, Marcel Lewis. In January, they went again. They brought in Ekdal. They brought in Foster. They brought in Aldakel. They worked really well in the loan market. Taylor Howard Bellis came in. He was outstanding. Ian Matson came in. He was fantastic for them. Uh, Nathan Teller came in on loan. Jordan Byer came in on loan. Dervazoglu came in on loan. And Obafemi came in on loan. So if we look at what they've used during the season. In goal, Murich played 41 of the games. And Bailey Peacock-Farrell played five. So Murich is first choice, will remain first choice, and is very, very talented and very highly regarded. His reputation took a bit of a hit during a really bad loan spell a couple of years ago at Forest, where he had some some real howlers in his four appearances. But he did well at Willem Twain, and he did well at Demispor last year. This season, he's been excellent for Burnley. I don't think they need to worry about a goalkeeper. I think with those two, they're set to move forward for next season. Uh, In defence, they'll definitely need to buy a couple of players here. So, Howard Bellas played 31 games. He was only on loan. They will likely have to try and get him on loan again. I don't think City will be interested in a sale, unless it's a sale with a buyback, which City have done before. Maybe that's the case here, but he will be expensive. Um, Connor Roberts was the starting right back. I would assume he will remain in that position. I do think that's one you could look to upgrade, but not necessarily one that they will make a priority. Uh, Vitinho played quite a bit for them. Jordan Byer played a lot for them. And Ian Matson played a lot for them. So Matson and Byer both in on loan. It may well be that they have to look to bring in three new defenders. Maybe they'll be able to keep the ones they had. Maybe. But I think it's going to be a big ask. They'll definitely have to put in work on that back line. That's going to be a priority. That's probably where they need to spend most of their money. In midfield... 
they generally played 4-2-3-1. Jack Cork played quite a bit. He's an important player for them, even just as a squad player. But Josh Brownhill and Josh Cullen were nominally the starting double pivot. And I would bet that they will remain the starting double pivot for next season. Now, could you upgrade on them? Sure. But they've got a good partnership, a good understanding. And I think he'll stick with them. So I wouldn't expect a starter to come in, but maybe they'll look to add another squad player, maybe a young player that they can develop in that area. Uh, in the wide roles, Zaruri played a lot. Uh, Benson played quite a bit. Tella played a lot again in on loan, but probably an easy one to keep. I wouldn't. I, I think at the Premier League level, I think he does struggle a little bit. Um, Bastian played minimal amounts during the season. A bit of a disappointing signing. Churlinoff was very disappointing, but had some injuries. I would bet they look to bring in a winger and maybe a number 10. Because a number 10 spot seemed to be one that they weren't always certain who the best fit was. Oftentimes, Brownhill would play there and Cork would play in midfield. Uh, Johan Berg Goodmanson played a lot as well. He's obviously been around. He's a good player. He just could never stay fit uh, under Sean Dyche. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them bring in a winger. Although, I mean, Teller was brilliant for them. Maybe they will just look to keep him because he was absolutely outstanding. Like he got 17 goals for them this season. That's He was their top goal scorer. So maybe maybe they look to bring one in there. Or, I'm sorry, keep, to keep him. And I think they definitely need to bring in a forward. Jay Rodriguez and Ashley Barnes were their nominal strikers. One played or the other. Lyle Foster came in in January, didn't really make an impact. Obafemi didn't start the game. A lot of good appearances off the bench. I don't know that they'll keep him. Um, maybe Swansea would be willing to loan him again. Who knows? Scott Twine is one I think could offer a lot more next season. I think his best role is behind the striker. He didn't get many opportunities this season for multiple reasons, injuries, lack of form, others playing very well. It wouldn't surprise me if we get more from him next season. If you're asking me to prioritize, I would say, see, the lone players played such a big role. Matson, Bayer, Harwood Bellis, and Tella. You've probably got to try and keep all four of them. And then add a nine. That's probably what you do. I wouldn't be surprised if they explore the loan market again. Maybe they loan in Howard Bellis again, buy Matson, buy Bayer, buy Obafemi potentially if he's cheap, and buy Nathan Teller, and then look to buy a nine and maybe loan in one more in midfield or in the wide areas. But they do need to do a lot. I mean, the championship is one thing. The Premier League's a different beast. They play really good football. I've been very impressed by what I've seen from Vincent Company with them. Now, I wasn't impressed by what I saw from them 
at Anderlecht, but I do think he had an excellent season with them last year. I thought even his in-game management was very good, which is rare for a young manager who's as inexperienced as Vincent Company is. Um, I mean, he had the two years with Anderlecht. This was only his third full season as a manager. And I, I did think it was a massive improvement on what he put forward at Anderlecht. Now, clearly a better caliber player. Would not be at all surprised though if he dips back into his old club and maybe looks to bring in one or two from there. Yari Vasharan, potentially in that number 10 role, could be really good. If he decides he needs an upgrade on Bayer, Zeno DeBast wouldn't surprise me at all. But he seems to have a fairly good understanding of some of the European markets. So I would, I'm confident that if there's money to spend, that they'll recruit well. And I think there will be money to spend. So I'm, I'm pretty confident Burnley will have a strong summer. As for Sheffield United, finished second, 91 points, 28 wins, seven draws, 11 defeats. 73 goals scored. That was the third most in the division after Burnley and Borough. 39 goals conceded. Joint second best in the league after Burnley along with Luton. Um, consistently good, I would say, across the course of the season. They had one really poor spell between uh, the month of October, basically, uh, where they lost three and drew three. They had a rough enough spell in February, March, where they lost four of six with two wins. So, you know, that's less than ideal. But other than that, they were pretty consistent. And 11 defeats across 40 game, 46-game season isn't bad, especially when you're winning at the rate that they were winning. Um, if we look at, firstly, the manager, Paul Heckenbottom, he was an underwhelming appointment when they gave him the job. He hadn't exactly stood out when he was with Barnsley. He was dreadful with Leeds. He was dreadful with Hibernian. And he didn't do well in his interim spell with Sheffield United. But they decided on continuity. And they decided that was their best course of attack. After Jukanovic didn't work out, they gave it to him. And look, this season he's gotten them promoted, so you can't ask any more than that. Um, it's taken him a bit of time, obviously, to get them up, but he's he's done okay. He's done he's done really well this season. Um, they didn't do a whole lot last summer in terms of buying players. Then he bought. Ahmed Hodzic from Malmo. He's turned out to be an absolute inspired signing. But where they were really good was the loans. The the loans in of Tommy Doyle and James McAtee in particular, really, really impressive. Uh, if we take a look at what they did in season, nominally the formation was a 3-5-2, 
which has been the Sheffield United way for a number of years. Oftentimes, it's a they'll push one of the midfielders forward, and it'll be more three four two one. But it is it is basically a three five two base system. Um, Wes Fotheringham is the first choice goalkeeper, and is I would look that is the first position they need to address this summer. I would not be at all surprised to see Dean Henderson be the first signing this summer. He knows the club. He's been there. He's helped them get promoted. He was excellent there. It's the best run he's had in his career. It wouldn't surprise me if he was targeted to be one of their marquee summer signings. They have an owner who's willing to spend some money. It wouldn't surprise me if they spend some money this summer. And that's the first position. George Baldock playing right wing back. He's not good enough for the Premier League. We've seen it. It hasn't worked. It's an area they'll need to address. And to be fair, I think most of their defence is an area they need to address. Now, Ender Stevens missed much of the season. But again, I think left wing back is also an area of need. So both wing back spots... I would expect John Egan to retain his spot in the middle of the back three. Ahmed Hodzic is excellent. The other spot, the left-sided spot, is problematic. Jack O'Connell's injury a couple of years ago has ruined his career. I don't know what went wrong with his surgery, but he has basically now missed three full seasons. And that's horrendous because... In his first season in the Premier League in 1920, he looked like a guy that was going to play for England. He was that good. And he had this horrendous knee injury. And he's played two games in the last three seasons. He hasn't played since the injury. That's very, very concerning. His career may well just be over. It may well be that he was only kept around because he was under contract. Um, Jack Robinson is not good enough to be a starting Premier League player. Neither is Kieran Clark. So they will need to sign a left-sided centre-back to go with two wing-backs and a goalkeeper. In midfield, Sanderberg is good enough to play in the Premier League. That's fine. Ollie Norwood played a lot for them last season. 39 starts, seven sub-appearances, so appeared in every game. He's solid. And... I think you could get away with him for a year, maybe. But it is an area you'd look to upgrade. Koulibaly barely played this season. I'm not really sure why. But he's a, he's a promising player who's kind of lost his way a little bit. But he is only 22. But the move to Sheffield United hasn't hasn't really worked for him. This was his first season with them. Um, well, actually, no, it was his second. Was it his second season with them? I know they bought him three years ago. He spent a year and a half maybe at Burshot. And then I think a year and a half now with, with the Blades. But he, he hasn't kicked the ball for them, really. Um, but he's one I do think has real potential. The big issue for them is that both Tommy Doyle and James McAtee played really important roles. And both of them are owned by Man City. And if they want to loan them, they can only loan one of them for next season. Because you, you can only loan one from another Premier League club. So I, I wonder, is there a possibility that City might sell one of them and loan the other? That would be the ideal for Sheffield United. 
Otherwise, they're going to have to find two new starting midfielders. Ideally, three. Well, Sanderberg is good enough. So, you, yeah, you want two others. Because I, I, w- I would prefer not to start Ollie Norwood. If you have to start Norwood, then one will be fine. But ideally, you'd want two. Um, then up front, I mean, Illumin and Jai is brilliant. So he's he's great. But Jebison hasn't kicked on. Ollie McBurney is the epitome of championship player who's really good at that level and not good enough at the Premier League level. And I don't know what's gone wrong with Rian Brewster, but it hasn't worked for him there at all. I think they need to buy a striker. So you've got striker, at least one in midfield, two wing backs, a centre back and a goalkeeper. It's a lot to do. It's a lot for any of these clubs to do. And we'll see how they pull it off in the summer, but it's going to be tough for both. I I have a bit more faith in Burnley, but I've seen Sheffield United come into the division and thrive under Chris Wilder. We've seen them spend decent sums of money. So, you know, there is a track record there of potentially overcoming the, the odds and the expectations and staying up. Massive summer, though. They've got to get it right. They've got to go out and get the right players. Like I say, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they went and got Dean Henderson. I know it'll be pricey, but the Premier League is expensive to be in. If you want to be in the league, you better be be ready to spend some money. But Dean Henderson is a proven quantity. He knows the club. They know him. There's no surprises. They know what they'll get. He's used to playing with a back three. He's used to playing behind John Egan. So there's already an understanding there. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he becomes their uh, first or, you know, major signing for the summer. Um, right, we'll move on to the news. And um, Erling Haaland's dad, Alf Inge, was removed from his seat at the Bernabeu last night after upsetting Real Madrid fans with his celebrations of Kevin De Bruyne's goal. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um I think he's every right to, to celebrate his, his son's team. Got a goal and, and equalised and, and got a draw. Sergio Busquets has confirmed he will leave Barcelona at the end of the season after 18 seasons. 718 matches for Barca, the third most in history. Eight La Liga titles, seven Copa del Reyes, three Super Cups and sorry, se- seven Super Cups and three Champions Leagues. One of the all-time greats. World Cup winner, European Championship winner. Captain his country, captain his club. One of, if not the greatest defensive midfielders of all time. And changed the game in that regard. Because Busquets is not quick. He's not the most physical player in the world. But he reads the game better than, better than anyone I've ever seen. Better than anyone I've ever seen. Sergio Busquets could have been the best centre-back in the world for the last decade if he was about a half-yard quicker. But as a six, he was just phenomenal. His comfort on the ball, his willingness to take the ball in any scenario, with one player up his back, two players, it didn't matter to him. Vincente Del Bosque said, if you watch the game, you won't see Busquets. If you watch Busquets, you will see the whole game. 
And I think that is absolutely true. It's a guy that made everybody around him better. Like Ilke Gundogan and Thomas Muller and other players have talked about, does everybody's thinking for them. Now, he was fortunate he got to play with super intelligent players as well. But it's just a different class. An absolutely sensational footballer. And when you hear players that played with him talk about how when he passed you the ball, you didn't need to think, which way am I turning? He took that out of it for you. If he thought you needed, if he was looking at you and you needed to turn to your left, he'd play it to your left foot. If you needed to turn to your right, he'd play it to your right foot. Simple things like that, that most players wouldn't have the foresight to do and definitely not the technical ability to do, just elevate him above so many others. A phenomenal footballer. An absolutely phenomenal footballer. And I could take this moment to laugh at a gobshite who once claimed Jordan Henderson was every bit as good as Sergio Busquets. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the higher ground here. I'm just going to call them a gobshite and move on. Uh, there's a good piece in the BBC by Simon Stone about the San Siro, about the new stadium, and about what will happen to the San Siro. Um, it is going to be... It's going to be tough to see it go. Genuinely is. Because, like, the first World Cup that I remember it all, or not all, remember lots about it and, you know, have watched every game multiple times since, is Italian 90. And the San Siro was kind of the defining stadium of that competition. It had been renovated for that competition. Sensational. Absolutely incredible. What a place. Right, moving on. Antonio Carbial, the Mexican who was the first footballer to play at five World Cups, has died at the age of 93. He was the Mexico goalkeeper at Brazil at the Brazilian World Cup in 1950, the Swiss World Cup in 54, the Swedish in 58, the Chilean in 62, and in England in 1966. Incredible. Lothar Mateus obviously would go on and play in five World Cups as well, and Cristiano has done it since, but this guy was the first to do it, and to do it back then was something special. Crazier, though, he only won 48 caps for his country, despite playing from 1950 to 1966 in 16 years, three caps a year average. Um, but yeah, amazing. Um, and just, just think about it for a second. Like, there's no way the World Cup could be held in Switzerland or Sweden or Chile now. Just no way. And we've they've ruined it. They've ruined the World Cup. They've made it too big. It's too many teams. Not The teams aren't good enough. Lots of crap teams, the World Cup. Just shouldn't be the way. Um, right, we've got two days of gossip. We'll just do these and that'll do us, I think. Paris Saint-Germain football advisor Luis Campos has spoken to Jose Mourinho's agent about the possibility of the Roma manager taking over this summer. I would imagine Jose's entire focus right now is on winning the Europa League. Um, So I don't think he's thinking about anything else. 
Argentina forward Lionel Messi, whose contract at PSG ends in the summer, has not reached an agreement to join Saudi Arabian side Al-Halil. The 35-year-old is expected to make a decision on his future once the French season ends on June 3rd. I still think he's going to go back to Barcelona, but that, that kind of money makes it impossible to not consider. They're offering him $400 million a year. Like, <laughs> could you say no? Could you say no for a year, two years, three years? Make a billion quid? A billion quid. Over a billion, obviously. But a billion quid for three years of kicking a ball around a field. Could then go and buy himself a club. He could go and buy Newell's old boys. And he could turn them into a super team in Argentina. Like, you'd probably buy them for 100 million, 150 million. Max, probably less, probably more like 60. And if he threw, I don't know, 300 million at them over the next six, seven years, they could build a super team down there, dominate. That'd be grateful. But obviously, it's a bit distasteful to take money from a despot regime. Um, Chelsea are looking to offload Christian Pulisic at the end of the season. And could use them as a makeweight to encourage Napoli to sell Victor Asunian. Yeah, be- definitely. Napoli, what they want to do is give up the best number nine they've ever had. The best number nine in Syria, A top three number nine at worst in the world game right now. And take back a winger who's always injured. Jude Bellingham will reject the offer of a one-year contract extension with significantly increased salary from Borussia Dortmund. Okay. Barcelona have set an 80 million euro or 70 million pound asking price for Rafinha. But that that is outrageous. Bayer Leverkusen have renewed their interest in Granit Xhaka. Don't believe that to be true. West Ham are resigned to losing Declan Rice. They'll be better off. If If you can get 80 to 90 million for him and go and buy... Let's just say they wanted Onana last summer. A box-to-box powerhouse, which is what Rice is. They got him and a really good holding midfielder. Let's say Romeo Lavia. They could pay, pay 45 for the two of them. That would be a significant upgrade on what their current midfield is. Marseille's French midfielder Matteo Guindosi is an option for West Ham as a potential replacement for Rice. If good player, I would just always have concerns about his attitude and his temperament. Um, Eintracht Frankfurt will not sell Randall Colomuani for less than seventy-nine million pounds, which is a fair effort considering a week ago it was one hundred and five million pounds. So the price has dropped twenty-six million in a week. So maybe next week we'll check back in; it'll be fifty-three. Uh, which would be a fairer price for a guy based on one season, really. Crystal Palace winger Michael Lise is attracting interest from Paris Saint-Germain. Would make a ton of sense. Would absolutely destroy the French League. Aston Villa, Leeds and West Ham have been linked with Moussa Dembele of Lyon. I believe he's at a contract. He'd make a lot of sense for Leeds. He could work for Villa. Don't think he's a great fit for West Ham, though. 
David De Gea has been given no assurances he will remain Manchester United's first choice keeper next season, despite being close to agreeing a new deal. If they're going to pay him, he's on currently on about 350 grand a week. So even if he takes a pay cut, what's it going to be? 250 at minimum that he's going to take? Or that he's going to get, rather? So he'd take about 100 grand a week haircut? Like, they're not paying 250 grand a week to a backup. So he's going to be starting. Newcastle United Sporting Director Dan Ashford and Scout Mick Tate have watched Blackburn Rovers 18-year-old English midfielder Adam Wharton. Um, Adam Wharton is is really, really talented. There's a bunch of very talented young players in the championship, and there's two at Blackburn that I really like. One is Adam Wharton, and the other is Ashley Phillips, the young centre-back. And if I could speak through, you know, the power of the power of positivity to Jurgen Klopp, I would suggest buying those two this summer as part of a future-proofing plan for the club. But unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be much of a future-proofing plan uh, right now. Crystal Palace, Fulham and West Ham are among the European clubs interested in Jefferson Lerma, who's had a contract. I'd be shocked if Bournemouth don't try to re-sign him. James Ward-Prowse says there is no truth in reports suggesting Southampton will let him leave if they're relegated. Um, Sorry to break it to you, buddy, but you are leaving if they're relegated because they're not going to pay you what you earn in the championship, especially considering you're one of the main reasons they're going down. People can point at penalties and free kicks all they want. He has been atrocious this season. Manchester United have held talks with Benfica of a deal worth up to £100 million, including add-ons for Goncalo Ramos. Really good player. Really good player. That's a very, very, very steep price, though. Like, this is the first season where he's really shown himself to be a leading man. He's got 25 goals in 41 games, which is a good return. 17 and 24 in the league. Uh, that's up from 7-29 and 29 in the league last season. Now, 17-24 and 24 is a hell of a return. Uh, it's actually probably a little bit more than that by now. That Those numbers seem to be a little bit out of date. But, you know, when you consider that last season, Liverpool spent £65 million plus some add-ons on Darwin, who got 26-28 and 28 and 34-41 and 41 in all competitions. So, like, nine goals more in all competitions. And... Uh, nine goals more in the league, but in admittedly four more games. Um, It does seem like a little bit of an overpay. Uh, Chelsea hope the potential appointment of Mauricio Pochettino could help persuade N'Golo Kante to sign a new contract. I think that would be be important for Pochettino to keep him at least for the year. Chelsea are ready to offer... Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Mark Kukurea as make-weights in a deal for Joao Felix. I could see potentially Atleti wanting Kukurea. There is zero chance Simeone wants anything to do with Aubameyang. I, I have doubts about the 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 likelihood of this at all, but I could certainly see him having interest in Kukurea. Especially if he wanted to stick to a back three and play him as a wing back, which is what he should be playing as, not as a centre-back. 
Manchester United are ready to rival Arsenal and Chelsea for the signature of Declan Rice. So someone's going to make a big mistake and pay far too much money for Declan Rice. West Ham are interested in Victor Gorkarez. Very good player. West Ham, though. I mean, if Skimak is leaving, then it would make a lot of sense. But I think he'd make sense elsewhere. Uh, Arsenal are hopeful that Kyle Saka will sign a new contract worth 500, sorry, a new five-year contract worth 300 grand a week before the end of the season. That's a lot of money for a 21-year-old. Like, I know he's brilliant, but I mean, where does it stop? When his next contract is up and he's going to want a new contract in three more years. What's it going to be? 400 grand, 500 grand? It's, the football is getting out of control financially. It really is. Newcastle are among a m- number of Premier League clubs set to rival Inter Milan and Juventus for the signing of Monaco's 24-year-old Brazilian fullback, Car- sorry, Monza's 24-year-old Brazilian fullback, Carlos Augusto. Um. They are looking for a left-back. And he's also played a bit of centre-back. He's played in midfield. I think they could do better, personally. But, he, he no, look, he, he's a good player. He is a good player. There's, there's no doubt. But, I mean, I think they could I think they could aim a bit higher. Uh, Liverpool are in talks to point Jörg Schmapke as the new sporting director, as the tail wags the dog at the AXA training stadium. Uh, Everton's Abdoulaye de Coure says he does not know if he wants to stay at the club with the French midfielder out of contract with the option to extend for 12 months. What he's saying is, if we go down, I'm gone. If we stay up, I'll think about it. Uh, Barcelona veteran Sergio, yeah, read that bus gets bit. Fulham manager Marco Silva has a six million release clause in his contract with West Ham considering an approach. I think he would do quite well at West Ham. I really do. Likes to play a four two three one. So he likes to have inverted wingers, so Ben Rama and Bowen would fit that need. Likes a a big striker, Skimaka would fill that need. Likes to get goals from that second striker spot. Now, that might be something they'd need to address, but Paqueta could definitely play that role to a very high level. He's just not as big a goal scorer, but maybe under Silva, that bit could be unlocked. Likes to have two workhorses in midfield who win a ton of ball, move the ball forward, get forward themselves. So, Suchek, you're gone because running is not your bag. Rice is leaving anyway. So, I mean, Onana and Lavia would fit really well. Maybe he'd try and bring Xiao Polina with him. Polina and Onana would be monstrous in midfield. Um, And I think the centre-backs work. I think Agard as the leader of that defence is fine. Zuma as that front-footed aggressive one is fine. He's definitely playing Ariola. He's not playing Fabianski. I think he'd need two fullbacks. But West Ham don't need to do a whole lot this summer anyway, just to get back to being good. Use the rice money to upgrade your two midfield spots and buy two fullbacks, and you're probably good to go. You're probably good to go for next season. 
Uh, David De Gea has agreed new terms, yada, yada. Former Liverpool midfielder, sorry, former England midfielder, James Milner rejects an offer from Everton in favour of Jerning. Who wrote this? Got Peter Rourke, shite. Over shite. Um, Chelsea women expect to have, sorry, expect Pernell Harder and Magdalena Eriksson to leave for Bayern Munich on free transfers when their contracts expire this summer. So big loss for the Chelsea women, women losing two top-level players. Um, Eriksson has been captain at times, and Pernell, Pernell, Pernell Harder is, is my even my limited knowledge of women's football. I know she is outstanding. Like one of the best players in the world. So um yeah, it doesn't it doesn't even take a an expert to know that's not good news for uh, Chelsea's women's team to be losing two top class players. But great news for Bayern Munich. Former West Brom and Barnsley manager Valerian Ishmael is in advanced talks to become the new Watford manager. Or as it's also known, the soon-to-be ex-Watford manager. Um, I don't mind Ishmael. Don't mind him at all. He's uh, He plays some decent football. Teams are high intensity. Very much a journeyman managerial career. Uh, he retired in 2009 as a player, having had a journeyman career. Strasbourg, Crystal Palace, Lens, Strasbourg, Strasbourg, Werder Bremen, Bayern Munich, Hanover. Retires in 09, goes into the Hanover coaching carousel, becomes the manager of their B team, then becomes the manager of Wolfsburg's B B team, then goes to Nuremberg. It doesn't go great. Uh, He lasts only 14 games. He goes back to Wolfsburg's B team. Then he gets the Wolfsburg first team job, and it's an absolute catastrophe. Uh, he went to Apolline Smimimis, a second division team in Greece, lasted one game. Uh, then he went to Lask in Switzerland and did very well there. Then he went to Barnsley and he did really well at Barnsley. Really, really well. And then he joined West Brom and it started well and it was promising and then it all fell apart from him. Uh, he was most recently the Besiktas manager. And, um, yeah, it it just, it didn't really work for him. Did all right. It wasn't bad, but not good enough for, for what they want. Um, he's very much of the profile of a Watford manager. I'm going to say that and leave it there and I'll see you all tomorrow. Take care. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Network.